from the Nipty Radio Recording Studios high above 107 Columbia Street in the heart of Uptown Downtown Albany. Welcome to this week's edition of the Nipty Practice Tips. everyone and welcome to this edition of the Nipty Practice Tips. Today, since we're beginning to see more and more good old-fashioned trials taking place, we thought it would be a good idea to begin to discuss some hardcore evidentiary issues related to trials. Today, we're going to discuss preventing improper evidence and arguments being made by the defense at trial. And the best way to effectively do this is by making a motion and eliminate. In most trials, you will be able to anticipate the significant evidentiary issues that will arise, as well as what evidence the defense will attempt to introduce either on their case or through your witnesses. Some of this potential defense evidence can be improper and potentially so damaging to your case that a curative instruction to the jury for them to disregard the testimony will not prevent a lasting harm from being done. Now, the best way to prevent the defense from introducing such improper evidence is to make a motion in limine before the beginning of jury selection. This will prevent not only the introduction of improper evidence, but the raising of questions and issues during voir dire and opening by the defense. The benefit of these motions will, in most situations, outweigh any strategic advantage you feel might be gained by waiting to see if the defense actually raises the issue. If a judge is asked to rule on the admissibility of certain defense evidence for the first time during the trial, whether it's during cross-examination of your witnesses or on its own case. And this objection occurs in front of the jury. Two things will happen, neither one of which is going to be to your benefit. First of all, even if the judge sustains your objection, the jury's already heard the question. This can create the impression with some of the jurors that you're trying to hide something, even with an instruction from the court to disregard the question. Secondly, the court will not have the same amount of time for calm, studied reflection on the issue and to consider your argument that it would if it was done in a much calmer, less stressful pretrial setting. When an evidentiary issue is a close one, judges will often be inclined to rule for the defense, especially when they must make a snap decision. While logical, That kind of decision or trial should always be made in favor of the people, not the defense. The Court of Appeals has written that legal issues of trial or any situation where the people have no avenue of appeal, such as the admissibility of evidence, should be decided in the people's favor when the issue is a close one. The Court of Appeals held so in People v. Reed in 1937, and this continues to be the law. Court wrote, While the defendant under our criminal procedure is entitled to the benefit of every reasonable doubt on the facts, the people should be entitled to any reasonable doubt a trial judge may have upon the law. For if he or she makes a mistake on the law, the people have no opportunity or method for reviewing the ruling, as strange as that may seem to us in this enlightened day of 1937. The defendant, for a wrong ruling, may always appeal the case for a review to a higher court. 
The people have no such privilege, except as herein stated. The trial justices and criminal cases, therefore, should bear this in mind when ruling upon points of law. Even if the court rules the evidence is coming in, it gives you the opportunity to adjust how you're going to deal with it, which may even include your introduction of the evidence yourself to take some of the sting away from it being part of the defense case for the first time. Now, it is imperative that these motions in limine be made before the defense can address the jury. Often, the defense will make it a point to mention certain evidence it intends to offer, but knows its admissibility is unlikely at the earliest possible time of trial, such as during the voir dire. If your plan is to wait until the witness is about to testify or before the opening statements to make this motion, you may be too late to avoid the damage of the jury being made aware of information or evidence that is not properly admissible. Now, one way to even more effectively deal with this issue is by writing a brief written version of your application that you can give to the court pre-trial. I can't tell you how many judges had said to me over the years that they were impressed by assistant district attorneys who not only made these applications, but handed the judge a written version with case sites and arguments. Imagine, the judge says, I'll think about this overnight and I'll decide it tomorrow morning. And then while thinking about it overnight has the copy of your arguments in written form. It can be very effective. In a criminal trial, the defense attorney is given great latitude in conducting the defense and presenting evidence, as it should. The phrase, but your honor, this is the defense case, is a common response by defense attorneys when the people object to defense attempts to introduce evidence with a questionable foundation and should, in fact, not be admitted according to the rules of evidence. The primary rule to remember when arguing that certain proffered defense evidence should be precluded is the rules of evidence do apply to the defense, even during the presentation of the defense case. In a very significant case, People v. Cepeda, a 1994 First Department decision. The court wrote, the right to present a defense does not give criminal defendants carte blanche to circumvent the rules of evidence. Now, while this is a First Department decision, I have seen this decision quoted in subsequent appellate division decisions throughout the state. In the Court of Appeals decision and People v. Hayes from 2011, the court wrote, it is a common and accepted tactic for defendants to challenge the adequacy of police investigations. Despite this recognized strategy, a criminal defendant does not have an unfettered right to challenge the adequacy of a police investigation by any means available. It is well settled that an accused right to cross-examine witnesses is not absolute. Let's take a look at a couple examples of the kinds of things you will be making motions in limine to prevent the defense from addressing with the jury. One of the most significant is the defendant's exculpatory statement made to police at the time he or she is arrested. The defendant's self-serving hearsay statement made to police at the time of arrest is not admissible through the police witnesses unless there is an exception to the hearsay rule, such as an excited utterance to justify its admission. There is no such hearsay exception entitled, the defendant said it when he or she was arrested. Remember, 
The defense is introducing this self-serving statement for the truth of its content, that the defendant did not commit the alleged crime. See the case of People v. Sastry, 1980 Court of Appeals. Now be aware, you must have made the court aware that you have no intention of using this statement on your case. If you're equivocal on that, or you're not sure and have made the decision, then it would be appropriate for the defense to, in fact, frame questions which included this statement by the defendant. But if you make it clear to the court, you have no intention of introducing the defendant's self-serving statement on your direct case, then you can have it precluded from being mentioned by the defense. Also, evidence of third-party culpability, that is the defense saying, Jones did it, Smith did it, is not something the defense can simply toss out there without any evidentiary foundation or basis. This is significant enough that it actually has a name for a hearing that you can request to be conducted before the trial begins, known as a primo hearing. In this decision, the court emphasized that the trial courts should understand that in weighing the admissibility of such evidence, is it relevant? And if it is, is its probative value outweighed by the prospective trial delay, which is an interesting point, undue prejudice to the opposing party, meaning the people, confusing the issues, or misleading the jury? The court wrote, the better approach we hold is to review the admissibility of third-party culpability evidence under the general balancing analysis that governs the admissibility of all evidence. And in this setting, we note that the countervailing risks of delay, prejudice, and confusion are particularly accurate. A primo hearing conducted by the court that the defense must establish and make an offer of proof at the earliest reasonable time so the court can do the appropriate balancing. And again, this is now known as a primo hearing. The admission of evidence of third-party culpability may not rest on mere suspicion or surmise. In practice, the balancing is best performed by requiring the defense at the earliest reasonable opportunity to make an offer of proof outside the presence of the jury to explain how it would introduce the evidence of the third-party culpability. The court will then hear any counter-arguments from the prosecutor, weigh the considerations, and make its determination, followed by clear directives as to what it will and will not allow. If you don't make the application for this procedure, the defense will have carte blanche to raise any issue it wants in its cross-examination. Another area where the defense often will attempt to avoid having to use the correct evidence or present it in the correct way is having the defendant display him or herself at the trial. In the case of People v. Rodriguez, a court of appeals decision from 1984, the trial court refused to allow the defendant to display his tattooed hands as evidence and refused to allow the defense attorney to testify that the tattoos were there four days after the crime was allegedly committed because there was no evidence that the defendant had tattoos on the day of the crime. The defense then attempted to lay the proper foundation by offering to have the defendant testify to that fact only and not to be subjected to cross-examination on the substantive issues of the case. The trial court also refused to let the defendant testify without being cross-examined on all relevant issues in the case. The Court of Appeals upheld every one of these evidentiary rulings by the trial court. 
Evidence cannot be introduced simply because it's the defense attempting to introduce it. It must have the same proper evidentiary foundation as all the evidence you intend to introduce. Now the court is permitted to restrict areas of course examination. For as long as any of you can remember, it has been part of pretrial rulings by the court to determine what impeachment material the people may be permitted to use when attacking the credibility of defendants when they testify. These are commonly known as Sandoval rulings and so forth when the people intend to use defendants prior convictions. While the Sandoval ruling is not applied to the people's witnesses, this does not prevent the people from moving for the defense to be precluded from cross-examination of people's witnesses on a subject matter with a prejudicial effect outweighs the probative value. Remember, all evidence should be weighed in this fashion, including credibility issues that are raised on cross-examination of witnesses other than the defendant to whom somewhat different balancing test is made. In Scarola, a 1988 Court of Appeals decision, the court wrote, not all relevant evidence is admissible as of right. However, even where technically relevant evidence is admissible, it may still be excluded by the trial court in the exercise of its discretion if its probative value is substantially outweighed by the danger that it will unfairly prejudice the other side or mislead the jury. More than ever, in the present day of trials, where there is so much potential impeachment material available to the defense, it is one thing for them to have it. Them having it does not mean that they get to use it in every case or under every set of circumstances. So be sure when the defense has material related to the potential credibility of your witnesses, but the prejudicial effect far outweighs any real probative value, you should be making a motion in limine for its preclusion. Now, Let's look at evidence only defense may use in cross and curative instructions to explain to the jury why the people did not introduce this evidence. Technically, neither party can ask their witnesses about prior convictions because it would be considered impeaching your own witness, which is not permissible. However, as we well know, the practical impact of a witness's prior criminal record first being raised by the opposing party would give the impression that the party calling the witness was attempting to hide the information. So it's become the common practice in trial, both for the people and the defense, to ask of their own witnesses if they have prior convictions or ask them about any other acts that the opposing party will be permitted to cross-examine on. However, there are other situations where a defendant's criminal record would not be appropriate to introduce and it's not introduced. When you get to the point of other things that may be impeaching of your witnesses, but the court does not allow you to introduce it as part of your direct case. You should request of the court a curative instruction which tells the jury you were not permitted to go into that particular point and they should not infer that you were attempting to hide this information that they may make in listening to the rest of the evidence. One more point, motions in limine as to arguments the defense may make on their summation. This is a really important point because obviously both sides are given a fair amount of 
leeway on their arguments to the jury during summation. But when it comes time to do the summations, you will probably be aware of certain things that you feel the defense may very well try to argue, which really is not appropriate. And you should make the point before summations to move to have the defense precluded from making those arguments. If you don't, this is what can happen. The defense makes the argument, you object. Defense says, Your Honor, I'm so sorry. I had no idea this was not appropriate. I really, I'm so sorry. I, I you know, please forgive me, strike it, whatever's appropriate. It's done. It's there. The jury heard it. But if you make that application ahead of time, there is no excuse for the defense to make that argument. And it is much less likely they are going to present it. And much more likely, you and the judge can preclude it much more quickly than it being raised for the first time. Take a look at the case of People v. Smith, a 2011 Court of Appeals case, which stands for the proposition that such motions are appropriate and the court should make such rulings. Now, there's a great deal more material on motions in Lemonade that you'll find in the prosecutor's encyclopedia in various areas. And if you take a look at the written version of what we've done today, you will see a list of places to go and links to them. Thanks as always to our crack producer and man about town, Jonathan Marconi Crispino. We wish all of you well in your return to courtroom and doing trials. And when you need any help, please be sure to give your friends here at NIPTI a call. To all of you out there, be well and stay ready, my friends. Thank you.